Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Susan, and it's so good to see you all. Thanks for joining us, and I'm so glad that you're here. As uh, Mike and Jen mentioned, we are in the midst of a series called Explore God. We are joining with over 200 churches and communities in the Bay Area who are doing a sermon series, and we're, we're trying to think of it like a discussion, a conversation in our whole congregation, in small groups and discussion groups on Sunday morning, afterwards, um, and a number of different ways. And we're talking about different questions, seven different questions that many of us, many of us who are new to the idea of God, many of us who've been into God and following God for a long time, that questions that tend to come up for us, and we are just deciding to say, it's okay to have questions. Uh, I just read something recently that said that doubt is a really important part of the life of faith. And I think that's true. That if it just has to be faith, 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 faith all the time, then where's the reality of it? Where's the authenticity of it? Where's the tangible, up and down, asking questions nature of it that actually leads to true growth, no matter where you're starting? So this is the third week, and today's question is a... uh, significant one, which is, why does God allow pain and suffering? This is an important and common question, because I think that if you're not asking this question, if you don't at some point ask this question, why does God allow pain and suffering, I think maybe you're not paying attention. Maybe you're going a little too fast, and maybe you're not letting yourself connect with a very natural question that comes up. For some of us, this question has led to tremendous spiritual growth and transformation. For others of us, it has caused us to want nothing to do with a God of a universe, the universe who would let hurt and suffering come about, especially to those who we love, or maybe even ourselves. One example of my own life I can think about is um, a number of years ago, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage 3B. And when she told me this, I was super shocked because I was like, wait, that dissonance, you're my mother. You're supposed to be healthy and there for me at all times. That's your job, right? And I was faced with this thing, that this shocking reality that she had pretty serious cancer. She went through a whole lot of radiation, went through surgery, went through chemo, and um, it all went pretty well. She is a survivor, and she's with us even now. But um, the the strange thing that happened is that she got really severe neuropathy in her feet. So neuropathy means the nerves were damaged in her feet, And she said that what it felt like was like she was walking on pins, needles, and knives, like, all the time. And um, just if she tried to walk normally, it felt like she was on super high heels for three days straight. You know, just, it was painful for her to even walk around at all. So what this meant was massive pain all the time, a life of med management, a huge range of treatments, Everywhere she went, everyone who loved her had new ideas about this thing in Korea, this thing in Mexico, this you should try. 
It really changed her life and to some degree her personality. And she had this severe neuropathy for 10 years. And as her daughter, I just prayed a lot. I prayed a lot. And sometimes it was like faith-filled, hope-filled, confidence in God, filled with a sense of promise. And other times it was filled with frustration and antagonism. And my prayers were like, hey, God, what's your problem? I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like that. When you're like at the point of just down and frustrated with God. And it has that attitude of like, let's be really honest here. What is your problem? God, this woman is the most faithful God woman that you've created and I know because she talks to you a lot. What do you, what do you talk about? But all she does is talk to you. And this is how you want her to live her life? She's got a lot of grandparenting to do. So what we need to do is heal her of this massive pain that she's in all the time. That's my, I can't think the honest, most honest, frustrated prayer. I don't know if you've ever been there in your own personality version of that. Hey, God, what's the deal with this? I find great comfort in knowing that there are people in the Bible who kind of have that experience as well. Habakkuk was a 7th century prophet living in the final decades before Israel's southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. And it was a time of massive injustice idolatry, and um, judgment. And, but unlike other prophets in the Bible, Habakkuk doesn't call Israel to repent. That's the main thing. They're Old Testament prophets. The, the, the thing they do is to call their people to repent. But instead, his words were much more often addressed to God. And in the book of Habakkuk, he, it documents his very personal struggle to believe that God is good when there's so much pain and suffering in the world around him. And it strikes me that he was talking about the same land that's dealing with pain and suffering to this day. Right now, just a a, a blood-drenched land. So much suffering. In his short book, it starts with these desperate words. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. Man, that's some honest stuff. And I I ask you, does any of that sound familiar to your heart? other people who've dealt with suffering, who are wrestling with the journey of faith? God, why aren't you answering my slash our prayers? Why are you allowing suffering to continue? Don't you care about all this pain? Why? Because pain and suffering will hit all of us. There are many flavors of suffering right? But the one true fact is that we will all experience it to some degree or another. 
be that in jobs or relationships or finances or family, school. There's a wide range, but it's pretty universal. And it's common to say, what is up with God letting me suffer like this? So I just want to say, here's what we're not going to do this morning. We're not going to completely solve the problem of human suffering. We're not going to minimize pain and suffering and provide simple platitudes like all you need to do is pray. And we're not going to tell you that your situation will get better if you have enough faith because I don't believe that God is like that. But I would like to look at two passages in the Bible which help us to understand pain and suffering from the perspective of God. So let me read this parable from the book of Matthew um, in chapters thir- chapter 13, 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When that wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did all the weeds come from? I'm going to stop there and tell you how much I relate to the servant in this parable. The idea here is, if you sowed good seeds, why are there weeds? If you sow good seed, why are there weeds? If you raised your kids right, then why this problem? If you ate clean, then why do I have this illness? If you went to church, then why do you have so much doubt? If you prayed, then blah, blah, blah. That attitude of, wait, I thought you sowed good seed. Why do you have problems? Why is there a mixture of good and bad, a productive and very unproductive in your field? In verse 28 says, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. It's like the owner was planting wheat. Someone else planted weeds, and he says, I want to let you know we're going to let both grow together for a while. We're going to let both grow together for a time. Now, I think even this little story is very challenging because it goes against three beliefs that we are swimming in all the time. Three deeply held... (coughs) Deeply held beliefs that our culture encourages us to hold. Belief number one, if I do good, I will be rewarded. If I do bad, 
I will be punished. I think some uh, other um, uh, worlds of belief consider that you might call that karma. You might call that just um, earning your way, doing what's right. But I just want to say that Christian biblical theology does not connect pain and suffering with the morality of people or achievement or hard work. Christian teaching does not hook pain and suffering with the morality of a person or achievement or hard work. It's both. The scripture tells us there are both wheat and weeds at the same time, mixed up. Good circumstances doesn't mean that God is pleased with you. Any more than pain and suffering means uh, that God is punishing you for wrongdoing. I know a friend who was diagnosed with cancer. And immediately she said to me, drive me to my church. I was like, okay, maybe she's wanting to pray. And when she got there, she wrote a check and realized that she wasn't exactly right on her tithing. For those who are unfamiliar, it's like, in general, people are encouraged to give like 10% of their income uh, to their community of worship. And she was worried that she had not given her tithe enough, and so she got this really incredible disease. And I said, I don't think it works that way. I don't think you pull this lever and then you get this, that it's this one-to-one, do good, you know, be rewarded kind of thing. We can all check, check all the boxes, do the right things, please God. We're trying to be a nice person. You give generously, you volunteer, you pray, you take care of yourself and others. But none of that guarantees that life won't be hard, right? And I, I think that part of you is like, yeah, right. But then part of you might be like, what? Say that again, Susan. Because you can check all the right boxes and try to do all the right things. But that doesn't guarantee that life won't be hard. Your dog might still run away. Your marriage might be hard. Your kids might get mixed up in weird and wrong things. We still might get sick. I will probably struggle with anxiety. The word of God is profoundly realistic about this because it tells us that suffering is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable in this weed-filled world. No one escapes it, and everyone experiences it. I have a good friend, and her daughter just got into and started school at a very elite university. Um, Not this not Stanford, but another elite university. And she asked her daughter, are you going to be interested in pursuing God while you're um, in college? And her daughter said, honestly, mom, I'm good. I feel like I've done a really great job and I feel good about myself. And honestly, I don't really feel like I need God. And my friend wisely said, that's fine. And I support you where you're at, but I want you to know that at some point in your life, you will feel the need for help. Right now, you don't, but at some point in your life, you will experience suffering because everyone experiences pain and difficulty because life is hard and the world is troubled and broken. And when you do, I hope that you know 
that you can cry out to God, and God will be there. The scriptures are very matter-of-fact about the reality that the world is a place of pain. And it does not correlate with how good of a person you are. Belief number two that makes it difficult for us to understand God's perspective on suffering is that things are basically all good, or at least neutral, and that evil is just an illusion. It's something we can kind of ignore. We need to move on. Again, I love that basic thing about Christianity is that it acknowledges evil. Not just difficulty, but evil. There is evil. There is an enemy, as this parable says. In Judaism, in Christianity, we understand uh, another word for that is Satan. The scripture looks coldly at these facts and says there is evil in this world. And if you don't see it, maybe you're not paying attention. And this is why lament is a huge thing in the scripture. And I realize that those of us who have been shaped by American Christianity, it's very tempting to be optimistic and positive in probably not a biblical way. Just to be like, it's okay, just pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, work harder, have a positive attitude, move it on forward. But the, the weakness of that is that it doesn't acknowledge evil. And there are some in the world who can't not acknowledge evil because they live with it so overtly in a powerless manner. But those of us in the U.S. church tend or te- are tempted to say, stop complaining, suck it up, buttercup, just move on, just try harder, don't be so negative. I don't have time to acknowledge evil. I, I remember that when I was a student, for those of you who are students of any sort here, in, or I guess having a job of any sort in the Silicon Valley. It's just tempting to go, look, I'm very busy. I don't have time to acknowledge evil. Lament, what is really draining text a lot of time. And so I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to ignore. I'm going to just separate, isolate from that which is causing of pain and misery. But that is not the Bible's attitude. People in the Bible lament a lot. They acknowledge evil because the biblical understanding is that this world is a broken and fallen place. Therefore, we should not ignore pain and suffering. The third belief that people might have that keeps them from deeper understanding of the whole topic of God and pain and suffering is the belief that we have to be okay now. That we have to be okay right now. I was hurt. I need to be okay now. I'm experiencing suffering. Oh my gosh, it's 24 hours later. I'm still experiencing it. Because let us acknowledge that we live in a right now kind of culture, right? That you can order on something on Amazon and it could get there the next day or even sometimes that day if you pay extra, right? You could have it now. This summer, my daughter went to Oaxaca, Mexico, and I realized I was annoyed because she wasn't texting me back within the hour that she woke up. And I, like a crazy mom that I am, I'm like, I know you're awake. Why are you not messing me back? And at some point, I was like, 
she is 4,000 miles away, experiencing a different world, and I'm wanting to connect with her right now. How right now is my attitude and my experience and my worldview? Have you ever asked God to take something away from you and he doesn't take it away from you right away? It's fine to ask God, but he might not take it away from you. Or he might not take it away from you right away. Sometimes, I think we just have to leave it alone. Sometimes there are things in our lives and it's good. It's good. God always says, I want to hear you. He's always present to us in our requests. But there are times where he doesn't answer us right away. And sometimes we have to just leave it alone. Kind of leave it on the altar and just step back and wait. And here is why you can leave it alone. And that is because the presence of the weeds do not cancel out the power of the wheat. Do you feel me? The presence of the weeds do not cancel out the power of the wheat, that which God has sown in our lives. The presence of suffering and evil and mishaps does not cancel out what God is doing. Those weeds in this story do not cancel out the seeds that God has planted. And if we leave it alone for a little while, who knows? Perhaps there will be fruit. Perhaps there will be fruit. The Apostle Paul came to a point where he said, um, he said, I, he had something called a, he called a thorn. He didn't really say what it was. Sometimes we don't have to tell the whole world what our particular struggles are, but he's like, I have a thorn. And he asked God three times to take it away, and clearly God did not. So Paul finally came to the point where he said, I learned to thank God for my thorn. I learned to thank him for the things that he is using that I did not choose for myself, the things that he's using that tormented me at one time. Because in part, and he saw this after a while, that his tormentor became his mentor. The, tor the torment was turned upside down by the faithfulness of God so that it became that which caused him to rely on God even more. For me, I would have to say that uh, a time in my life was when I was a full-time mom for eight years. Now, it is a privilege to get to be a full-time mom for me. It was a privilege. But it was also really hard. And many of you know my story. Our eldest had um, autism and a number of special needs and medical problems. And then we adopted a second child, and then boom, we got pregnant. <laughs> I had four kids, uh, three kids under, felt like four kids sometimes. Three kids. How many children do we have, honey? Three, three. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes my husband counts himself as the fourth. <laughs> Three kids under four. And, um, and it was just like a life that looked really different from everyone else. 
You know, it's so comforting to have a life like, oh, there are other people who have kids in this church the same age or other people who are, you know, uh, married with no kids, you know, whatever. But it was not comforting because our life was really, I felt, really different. I remember standing in the back of this church with my son, and there was another kid who had the same exact pacifier, and we kind of became friends. We've been in this church that long. But that kid's in college now. And my son is still working on the very end of toilet training. He's 21. And I praise God for my journey. It has been a good one. But it's been different, right? Sometimes you're like, I just want people to walk through life with. But then, dang it, your life goes like this. And you're like, why do I have to be the different one? Why do I have to experience blah. Sometimes I just wanted to crawl out of my skin and escape my life. I wanted God to take away the difficulty of it. And sometimes he did, and it was lighter. And sometimes it was harder than I ever imagined. But I tell you that I look back, and he, God has turned my torment, that which was my torment, into my mentor. I look back and I go, oh my gosh, why is it that I got to be Joshua Van Reason's mother and no one else did? That's so sad for them. I just, I really do look back and I realize he's changed my attitude so much. And I just, when I'm with my son, I just think, why am I so lucky? Okay, lucky may not be a Bible word. Why am I so blessed? Why am I, why did I get chosen to be his mom? That's so unfair to the rest of the world. What did I do to be so blessed? I've been changed. I, the story of my life has been transformed. Josh has been the gift that has led me to trust in God the most, I dare say, of anything in my life. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. In my weakness, God has become my strength, so that now I hold both. I'm a person who stands before you with both weakness and strength. And I think those of us who have been shaped by God will have that, right? If you are someone who's like, I just want to go from strength to strength and exude strength and be strength, then Jesus is not the God for you. But if you are willing to have both weakness and strength in the midst of your humanity, in the midst of your journey, in the midst of being woven into the story of Jesus Christ, then this path might be for you. I want to ask, let me ask, that for a moment we set aside the question why and ask instead the question where? Where? Where is God in the midst of pain and suffering? Can we find God in the darkest moments? Can we discover him in the deepest despair? Because the best place to look for God is in the middle of our pain. To look for Jesus 
Because in Jesus, we find a God who suffered. God did not come to the earth to bring us from strength to strength and automatic success. Jesus came to sit on a throne that was preceded by hanging on a cross. Jesus came to rescue us from a world that was fallen and thoroughly corrupted by sin and evil. And he refused to abandon us to those forces of darkness that sought to separate us from him. God came after us, and he suffers with us. In Mark 14, it says, In the garden of the night of his arrest, Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled, and his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We're told that his stress was so overwhelming that he literally shed drops of blood. He showed all the signs of being in physical shock. And he begged the father to save him, and he experienced relational pain. That is not the zenith of all pains, but it it is one pain, right? In a very real pain, he experienced relational pain from that, from him who he was most intimate with. And on the cross, he cried out in despair, and he felt abandoned and experienced pain and separation from the Father, but Jesus hung on to God. And in Jesus, the suffering Savior, we discuss, if we discover, if we really look at Jesus, we discover that the goal of life is not earthly happiness. And even the best of the good will suffer. And it's okay even for God to not be okay. Is there anyone here, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but is there anyone here who's not okay? Anyone, maybe? I am guessing that there are. It's okay to not be okay because Jesus knows firsthand despair and rejection and loneliness, grief and pain. And he didn't numb himself to it. Can I just stop there? And let's just think about how amazing it is that Jesus is one who did not numb himself to pain. How strong is the temptation for us to numb ourselves to pain? Am I right? Oh, man. And we all have our different ways, right? And some of it looks like service or being pleasing to, you know, we all have our different ways of numbing ourselves to pain. But Jesus didn't do that. And I'm like, wow, how are you like that? He did not numb himself to pain. And while Jesus is suffering, doesn't answer the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? It does tell us that the answer is not, it's not because he doesn't care about us. And we know that because of how close he draws near to us in identifying with our suffering. And it can't be that he doesn't care. I love this quote from pastor and author Tim Keller. It can't be that God is indifferent and detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. Friends, I don't have easy answers 
for you today. But when it comes to this, the question of pain and suffering, I do know this, that Jesus understands pain. He understands our pain, the pain of the world, communal pain and suffering. And I believe he wants you to find comfort in him. I believe that God wants you to find comfort in him. His arms are open wide, and I tell you today that the comfort of God is better than the comfort of all things that would numb us. What is it that you go to to find comfort and numbness when you experience pain? Is it media? Is it working? Is it some other kind of escapism? God invites you to find comfort in your relationship and the truth and the trajectory of God. And there's a lot there. There's a lot there for you to experience comfort in God. When Habakkuk surveyed all the pain and suffering in the world, he came to the conclusion that the only way to face it was in God. He writes, look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Maybe they deal with their pain themselves by numbing out or escaping in their own way. And their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Faithfulness is a word that, among many things, can be defined as hanging in, continuing to come, standing up, remaining, enduring, remaining close to God. And I realize that sometimes that faithfulness and that remaining, it looks like I'm barely standing, but I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm declaring my need for you. I have known people who have gone through a depth and, uh, of pain and suffering that most of us could not imagine experiencing. And I tell you that they are amazing to me. People who have experienced pain and suffering and have not fallen into despair, into bitterness, into unforgiveness, into hard-heartedness, those who have remained in the presence of God are amazing to me. Do you know people like that? People who are like, how are you a kind person given what you've gone through? Sometimes I experience that when I go to the two-thirds world and I see the joy in different people's lives and I'm like, how are you like this? I know what your people have gone through. But there's a spark of God, a miracle of God that you can only see with the heart that says, wait a minute, maybe there is joy. Maybe there's a, a comfort, a changing of our character that is to be found in God and only in God. There's a woman, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's a Swiss-American psychiatrist known for her studies about grief. And she says, the most beautiful people are those who have known defeat. 
known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. Did I put that on? Oh, good. Beautiful people don't just happen. And I suggest to you, ugly people don't just happen either. Now, I'm not talking like physically ugly, according to our, the beauty standards of our culture, but people who have really given themselves to bitterness, people who have given themselves to only trusting in themselves or to escapism, people who have given themselves to hatred or resentment, Do you know people like that? People who have suffered and gone this way and who feels like the world owes them and they are the most this or that? There's an ugliness that we see that is also a signpost. We see beauty and ugliness in the lives of people. And sometimes it's a mixture. But those are signposts to us. And to say, how would I like my soul to be? We are all in the midst of this journey of moving forward toward one or the other. And here is the most beautiful one. My Lord Jesus, who suffered for the sake of all and still loves. Still loves incomprehensibly in such a beautiful way. Let us keep in mind that there will be an end. This is not just a circular journey, though sometimes I feel like my life is like this. I have to I go back to places I've been before, but I'm trying. But it's not just a circular journey. There will be an ultimate healing and an ultimate Judgment. There will come a time, nobody knows when, but that is promised all over the scripture. When it's up to God to make the harvest, and he will unbind it all, he will cut it off, he will burn it, or bring it into his barn. And we all still have time to choose what our destiny will be like. Will we be beautiful like Jesus, or will we be ugly like some who we've seen. Even those of us who are way into the church, we still have to choose every day. Am I right? But I want to say that there's nothing that God can't do. There's nothing that God can't do. It is a privilege to get to preach to you today. And the one thing I want to say is that there's nothing that God can't do. If we say, oh, God, help me, that's the prayer. There's nothing he can't do to meet you, to meet us, and to meet the world in our pain and suffering. And to still bring beauty and hope.